have these jewels. I'm told it's extremely cold in uh, London. We don't care. We don't care. Because we're in Doha. But it's actually a nice breeze. And it's, yeah, it's lovely. It's pleasantly cool. But what is heating up, Jules, is the World Cup. Because we have our first finalist, and it's Argentina. Uh, and tomorrow night, we'll find out who our second finalist is. Yeah. Will it be reigning world champions, France? Or yeah. will it be... The big upstart to this World Cup, Morocco. I think most people here in Doha, I got to tell you, are rooting for Morocco. Leave me alone. Anyway, okay. we're gonna we're gonna try do our best to try to preview that, but we got to start with Argentina beating Croatia. And Jules, I'm gonna come out and say this. I I've been critical of Argentina in the sense that I felt that they hadn't put in a 90 minute performance. Yeah. Maybe, maybe against Poland in the group stage but certainly not against Australia, where they allowed Australia to get back into the game yep. at 2-1 and had a scare at the end. Certainly not against Holland, where they generally dominated the game, but then eventually got back to 2-2, went to penalties. This, this was a commanding performance, and I think credit has to go to Scaloni. Some players obviously shown, Alvarez, uh, Leandro Paredes, uh, I thought as well, Rodrigo de Paul had a good game as two. And there was no Messi dependency. Messi was like the cherry on top with what he did for the third goal. Uh, in terms of growth, this is a team that's getting stronger as the tournament progresses. Yeah, which is what we kind of expected after the defeat against Saudi Arabia. We said you can't forget what happened before that and the run that they've went on under Scaloni leading into this World Cup. And yeah, that was a freak result. It really was. And nothing really went their way that, that day. But you knew that it was not going to go back to scratch. However, they had to find the right formula. They had to change a few things. I think Scaloni, certainly of the, the, the last four teams, the last four head managers, um, head coaches, sorry, is the one that has changed the most compared to the others. You, you can pretty tell me there is the starting 11 of yep. the other three. With him, and as we saw again today with the four central midfielders that started, he, he, you know, he keeps trying tactically to outsmart you, to change something as long as it's just... Alvarez and Messi up front because that doesn't change. It, it was interesting because obviously we talked about this before, the way Croatia beat Brazil. Zlatko Dalic says, I have the best midfield in the world. We can debate whether it's true or not, but I think it's pretty darn close in Mateo yeah, Kovacic, yeah. the Braz, and of course Luka Modric. Uh, and against Brazil, what did they do? They kept the ball, they outpossessed them, they made Brazil chase them, and they picked their spots, and then eventually they prevailed. Now, Argentina, it was clear to me that this is what they were going to do because they're playing to their strengths. So how did Scaloni counter that? He went with four midfielders. He ditched the back three that we saw against uh, against the Dutch. He put Paredes in there. Yeah. You have another guy who can who can pass the ball. I'm not a big Paredes fan, although I thought he was very, very good uh, this evening. We were both at the game. We, we just came back, by the way. If we look a little disheveled, you know why. Um, <laughs> And that really, really disrupted. Now, in the end, by the end of the game, you'll see that Croatia had 60% possession, whatever. But it doesn't matter because in terms yeah. of, of, of big chances, Croatia created very, very little. Only two set pieces, yeah. And I, I think to go back on Modric, because I think this starts, in a way, sums it up, up well. It started okay, it started well, but then his lowest uh, passing accuracy of the whole World Cup. Only five passes in Argentina's final third compared to 22 against Brazil, for example, where, okay, he played extra time, so that was an extra half right. an hour, and he came off today after 80 first, 81 minutes, but still only five passes, which meant that when Luka Modric had the ball and the passes that he managed to do, 
hardly none of those passes were actually in, in an area that could impact the game and that could hurt Argentina, which shows you how well they kept him quiet. I mean, they kept quiet Brozovic. Kovacic was a bit different because he's got, he's got more dynamism. That's what he does. He runs with the ball and he, he progresses with the ball so, so well. And, and yeah, you're right. That's where they won the game. They got a bit lucky, Argentina, let's be honest, on the two I goals. Gonna, I was going to say that the first two goals, I, I was going to say that I rode back from uh, the Lucille Stadium up the road with somebody who was telling me how lucky they were, how they were a bit lucky. No, uh, that, that person, of course, was you, Jules. Yeah, and they, but you have to be honest, it's true. So the, the first goal is a case of, I don't know if Lovren gets confused, turns the wrong way, he's entirely out of position. But before that, Modric almost intercepts the ball. Yeah. So you can make that point, and it goes through, and then Livakovic brings down Alvarez, nothing Livakovic yeah. can do, and Messi converts on the spot. But again, I think that's kind of the sort of luck that you make a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like on the second goal where, I mean, Alvarez goes through like, like a runaway train, right? He picks up the ball inside his own, ha in his own half. It's a loose ball coming off a, a, a transition. He goes into the box. The ball actually caroms twice off of Guardiol and once off of uh, Borna Sosa. Yeah. And then he just kind of pokes it in. The ball could have gone anywhere before that. But it's made by the fact that he's, he's pushing, he's sniffing, he's there. So when the door of luck opens, he's there to take it. And then a 2-0 in the second over. half. The game is over. But I think even if they hadn't scored, it felt to me, I mean, Argentina came really close, I think, with the header. I think it was Tagliafico just before halftime as well. Could have been 3-0. It seemed to me like early in the second half, Croatia were entirely out of steam. And we saw that because five minutes into the second half, he abandons the, the, the possession game. He takes off the bras. And at that point, it's Wingers, it's, it, it, it's Pekovic, it's Croatia going direct. Scaloni counters by going back three. And at that point, you know, effectively Croatia become one-dimensional. And they yeah, lose I mean, the, I thought the game was dead at halftime anyway, regardless of what anything Dalish could have done. I mean, they didn't believe in it either. It was... They were just not on the day. They were just not good enough overall. And they, they didn't have a striker in this tournament. They went that far without a real strike, like a proper good striker. Pramaric, thanks you. He's not very good. Pekovic, thanks you. He's not very good either. Udemir, so, even less. So, this is where we are. So, as, if, you go, if you go a goal down, unless you've got something against Brazil where you're not gifted the goal, but it's very much helped by the opposition, uh, it was always going to be very difficult to come back today. And, and Argentina, as you mentioned to me in the car on the way here, this time, stay composed until the end. Maybe because they were less tired, because before that they didn't, they didn't give enough out, give, give as much as energy out as they did in, against the Dutch, for example, or even against Australia, I don't know. But they certainly look more composed and much more in control for the last 20 minutes than they ever did. Well, and in the last 20 minutes, we also saw, while well, you say the game was over at halftime, we saw what I thought was one of the more remarkable things that I've seen in a football pitch, and I've been watching World Cups and football for a very, very long time, and that is the goal that Messi sets up for, uh, for Alvarez. Uh, Messi receives the ball on the right inside his, kind of just inside the, the, the Croatia half. He has Josko Guardiola on him, who is not just one of the outstanding center backs in this tournament, one of the outstanding center backs in Europe. He's a guy who's 15 years younger than Messi. Yeah. And you figure, if Messi's going to beat, at least what I figured, Messi's going to do 
a bit of skill. He's going to nutmeg him or something. He's going to make him fall over, and he's going to scurry away from him. That's how he can beat him. Or Messi's going to draw him and other defenders to him, and he's going to pull off a ridiculous pass, uh, like for the goal against the Dutch, right? Where yeah. he draws people in and whatever. Instead, Messi runs. The ball sticks to his foot. It seems like he takes a million steps, right? And he ends up beating Vardyol through, through athleticism. He... I mean, skill, obviously, as well, yeah, because the ball sticks yeah, to him. Yeah, but he dummy. ultimately runs around him. True, but the dummy... How do you do that? The dummy is outstanding. For me, the dummy is outstanding. I mean, he turns, he turns him over twice, which is really remarkable. But then he goes around him. He turns yeah, him over. Yeah, but then he's but in the box, so he gives away a penalty, Gvardiol. I think Gvardiol uh, is limited once Messi has turned him over the second time, because otherwise it's a foul. And But I, th I thought that Gvardiol would have, like, literally cut him in two, Web before, where at the start of the move, and instead, once I, once Messi's in the rhythm like that, you can't stop him. I I, I thought that it was, was amazing. I amazing. thought that was really special. One one of the the, the best pieces of skill that that I've seen um, in this World Cup. Yeah, completely. Uh, now, in terms of numbers, obviously Messi setting up Alvarez for that goal. Alvarez with the two goals. Alvarez got seven goals now in eight starts for Argentina. He's he's proven so good, and you know what I love tonight, which we noticed already against the Dutch as well, is that. Well, I mean, he, run, he presses a lot and runs a lot. This is what he does. But also, everything that he does, all the runs that he makes, that either stretch the defense, he can come short as well, and he did a few times tonight. But he's looking for that runs, that, that, those runs over the top and the runs that will stretch that defense, which, for example, Brazil never really did against Croatia. No. But with this time, when you don't just play in front of Lovren and Guardiola, it's far harder for them, like we saw in the first goal, where Lovren right. is just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Alvarez brings you that. It's not perfect, and he's still very young, but what a future he has. The amount of, of running that Alvarez does. Look, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a prolific goal scorer. Uh, on the way over, we bumped into uh, Hernan Crespo's in later next the studio door. next door, yeah. and then just outside here uh, was, was Sergio Aguero, right? So those two guys, two legit goal scorers, sort of forwards. I, I don't know if Alvarez will grow into be that type of player in terms of goal production, but in terms of running and effort, because we talk, you talked about him pressing for Argentina. Yeah. Pressing is something that needs to be collective. When the other guy up with you is Lionel Messi, it's not going to be collective pressing. It means you have to, because otherwise you just run around, you know, like a maniac on yeah, your yeah, own. Yeah, really, on your own, yeah. And there's an intelligence, there's an incredible work rate to the way this guy moves because he's not getting the help from Messi. Understandably, nobody's yeah, yeah. having a knock from Messi. Calm down, Messi fans. I thought that was exceptional. In terms of Messi, some numbers. Messi scored his 11th World Cup goal. Um, the, he's well behind the record. He's not going to beat it this World Cup unless he scores, I think, five goals in the final, yeah. which is messy. But, it's still yeah, possible, but... But he became Argentina's all-time leading goal scorer at the World Cup, passing the legendary Lion King, Batigol, Gabriel Batistuta. Uh, and he equaled the record for uh, appearances in a World Cup with 25 held by Lothar Mateus. Yeah. A record that we presume he's going to break. He's yeah. going to break on Sunday in the final. Yeah, you would think so. And he, so I think now he's on 25. He will get to 26 if everything goes well for the final, which is likely to be his last ever World Cup game. I mean, come on, unless he plays at 39 in the US, which is very possible. But we don't have that vibe and that feeling right now. So he could win his first World Cup and the first one for Argentina since 1986, as well as big. Breaking a record that I'm not sure will ever be beaten, or it might be beaten by someone like Kylian if, 
He keeps uh, playing. Of course, it's Kylian who's going to beat the record. But if he plays seven games every time he plays the World Cup, and <laughs> he's 23 now. He's going to the final every single World Cup. It's only you know, going to take him four World Cups to get to 28 exactly. and beat Messi's record. Exactly. So, you know, let's see. But still, or, you know what? He what a need, special day. He doesn't need to get to the final. It can be a whole bunch of third place games. It's always True. so exciting. When you love always that. so exciting. But yeah, so well, what a special day Sunday could be for, for Messi, of course. A word on Croatia because I think they gave everything we have. We, we've talked about the spirit, the small nation, big boys. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah, of blah. course. Yeah, great generation you know, too. Dalic pushes all the buttons. I, I'm curious to see, you talk about generation, I'm curious to see what it's going to be going forward. I mean, you might get another couple of years out of the bras. Dalic has said, I'm on Modric to stay. Okay, Modric is 37. Let's see what Modric says. And to be fair, because I'm writing on, on Modric for the website, and I looked closely at him at the end. He looked, he looked, he felt like, and he looked like, he can always change his mind, but he looked like this was the last game. And he might play on Saturday in that third, third place playoff game. But he looked, the way he said goodbye to everybody, the way he, his body language, and obviously he was gutted to have lost a World Cup semi-final. Of course he was. But still, he felt very much there was a wave at the end towards the, the Croatian fans who were behind the, the goal on our right, where we were sat. It felt a bit like that. But again, he might be tempted to stay, although 18 months is a, is a long time for someone who's no. 37 before the Euros. I, I, I just think I, I've been so impressed with what Dalic has done in this World Cup um, against Brazil before that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, against Japan. I mean, I between this World Cup and obviously the previous one where they got to the final and, and lost to France, I thought that was absolutely exceptional. Incredible. And a lot of those stereotypes that we talk about in, in sport, about you know never giving up, fighting till the end, digging deep, pride, all those words which are hot air, which every little league coach has used. <laughs> I mean, he uses them to great effect. Hats off to you, Zlatko Dalic. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, enough uh, first semifinal. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gab. All right, Jules, it's semifinal time for your boys tomorrow, France versus Morocco. Let's start with injuries. Reports that Adrian Rabio and Dayo Upamecano are unwell. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Upamecano has a sore throat, second, second day in a row where he doesn't train, which is a bit roaring. For Rabio, it seems that... It's the beginning of the illness, and it might be, they might both be okay. I'm, I, I was told tonight that 
they they're still quite positive about them being being fit enough and ready enough to play against Morocco on on Wednesday. If they're not, Konate is going to come right, in. One for of these guys is easier to replace than the other. So yeah. center back, you have a billion options. Konate will come in. in yeah. Who's already started two games? Kind of like a smaller version of a smaller, weaker version of Upamecano. No, he's taller. He's, is he? He's yeah, taller, taller yeah. Upamecano, though, is like more. Yeah, but, you know, Konate is definitely taller. You wait in a street fight, Upamecano, though, right? No, no, he's too sweet. No, 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 no. Too nice? One, yeah. yeah, yeah, too, too nice. Yeah. All right, I'll, who I'll, can bench press more, Upamecano or Konate? Yeah, maybe Upamecano, although I think it's a, it's a close call. It's a really close call. All right, okay. I'm more worried about Rabiot because, because he Fofana, doesn't have a replacement. Fofana will come in, I think, and Chouameni will play higher up, and Fofana is the holding midfielder. Which I've been a bit disappointed by Wasso from Fofana against Tunisia, against Poland too. And that could be a problem even if France will have 70% of the ball. So I don't think it would be maybe as important. I mean, Rabio would be a big miss more than Upamecano because you would rely as well on his runs into the box against a very low block and a very compact block. You need, you need that kind of player. He's not going to make those runs. No, definitely not. And he doesn't attack the ball. He's not as good in the air either. So. Yeah, Rabiot would be a huge blow, huge blow. And uh, for Morocco, in the meantime, we assume Mazraoui's not going to be back. No, I get it. Wally Kadira, we know, isn't going to be there. Your friend. My, my, yeah. my buddy. Your buddy. Uh, Uno because uh, he's suspended, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Saiz should be okay, I think, but I don't know, 50%, 60% of his ability because the... I think the leg is going to be still tight, so we will have to see. But Thanks for playing the last game injured. Uh, yeah, pretty, I mean, he came fair. off anyway, so yeah, so, so let's see. But Regragi said, we're hungry and we're not tired, so yeah, you have to believe him. Gab, it's not just the Moroccan national team that is doing well at this uh, World Cup. Yeah, so I have to say, I hadn't put two and two together. I read about this, but it's Moroccan football that's booming. So Morocco won the African Nations Championship, which is this competition that they have, which is only for players who are based in Africa. So, you know, none of these guys who, who play in, in Europe, Europe would have exactly. been there. Um, and that's a good bellwether, I think, of what you're producing domestically, because they tend to be younger players. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of these guys who maybe were born in France, but the vast majority of them are people who were born in Morocco. Yeah. On, on, so 14 out of the 26 in the squad were born outside of Morocco. So no, no, but I'm talking about at the African Nations. Oh, yeah, they all... Yeah, there are people all of who, play them, in, who play in, but in most Af of them, somewhere yeah, in Africa. Yeah. So I'm assuming they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be the way are, around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's impressive. Obviously, Widad won the Champions League. Yeah, with uh, Regragui as the manager. With, with the, which is what got him the, the job. And then they've also won the last three uh, CAF Confederations Cup, which is kind of like the Europa League of African football. So that's right. There's a lot of depth right now to what's happening in Morocco. And I think it's very exciting because, look, you mentioned 14 of the 26, born abroad, blah, blah, blah. I, remember, I think Algeria, a few years ago, maybe two or three World Cups ago, they had a team where every single person was born outside of Algeria, everybody except for one. Here, they've obviously taken a lot from the Moroccan diaspora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also there is a lot going on in Moroccan football behind the scenes as well. Yeah, they created the Academy uh, Mohamed VI from the name of the king, of course. Uh, ten years ago, I think it was nice. A guy called Nasser Larguet, who then became the, the Marseille head of Academy, for example, who is someone very well known in France and in North Africa in terms of scouting the young players, the recruitment that work. And 
I mean, to be fair, the federation spend a lot of money on that. They've got basically a brand new kind of training ground like St. George's Park in England or Clairefontaine in France, where they just bring those talents like Unai and, and Niziri, who are the two biggest names, if you want, to come out of that academy. And, and now the, you, 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 you get rewarded for all the time and the money that you spend in that academy. With, with those talents, the other thing quickly that they did, Gabby, is that before they used to wait until players were maybe not called up by the other country, if you want. So maybe you get to 25, you Sofiane Bouffal, you France still haven't called you up. So Morocco comes to you and says, hey, why don't you come and play with us then? Right. Now they go much younger. So they've got this process and this structure in place where you're 14, 15, they know that one of your parents or your grandparents are from Morocco, even if you don't live there. And they say, why don't you come and, and see our structure? You can train with us. If you want, you can play. You don't need to take a decision now because you've got until playing for the first team that really right. only matters. And, and I think that has worked really well with Hakimi, for example, that they went and get when he was 16, instead of waiting to see if maybe Spain was calling him up. And I think that also is part of the, the reason why they've been so, so successful on getting those players from the diaspora playing for them and not for the, their other countries. And, and it, makes them feel, it makes them feel involved because, as we know, like in this, in this group, you know, there's players who, for example, they don't, they don't speak Arabic or, or they, they speak very poor Arabic because they grew up you know, it wasn't part of their household at, at home. You know, they may be of Moroccan descent, but, you know, they didn't speak it in their yeah. home. So yeah, it still makes them, they obviously feel a strong cultural connection. Yeah, yeah. This really, I think, has made a big difference. No, it's big. It's big. All right, Jules, now we, we're going to both pretend that we're bald. Uh, I'm closer <laughs> to it than you are, I think. But let's channel our inner Stuart Robsons and play out the semifinal tactically. You touched upon this before. You, experience, you expect low block... 70-odd percent possession for France. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty simple. It's not, it's not a criticism at all about what Morocco are going to do. This is what they've been doing so far against Spain and Portugal. They've got no reason to change because it's working really well. They are the best defence in this World Cup for a reason. Although he came under the previous manager, uh, Vaida Ilozic, who defensively was very good and, and sort of like drilled them very well. And that's is what they're going to do. And then play on the counter with Ziyech and Bufal and Niziri as well. Use the set pieces. For France, the key will be, for me, what they have in Spain and Portugal and Croatia and Belgium to a certain extent don't have or didn't have uh, is those two wingers very good on 1v1. So the key for France is to move the ball quickly, to go wide as quickly as possible, to move that low block that shuffles well. And then Dembele and Mbappe will go 1v1 against no. Hakimi and Masrawi if he plays or, or, or someone else. And that's where I think you can hurt them because when Nico Williams, just to finish, came on for Spain, for example, in the last 16 game, that's really the only time where Morocco were on the back foot a little bit. They were not sure and Nico used, was taking on Masrawi with success, dribbling past him, putting crosses in the box. France will have Giroud in the box and if Mbappe and Dembele can make those differences on the wings, then I think we create danger. I would agree with you on paper. The one thing that I'm wondering a little bit, this is still Didier Deschamps, and he won the last World Cup, obviously by, with a lower block and hitting on the break. Is he gonna be tempted to go and attack and have the ball from the first minute? Or is it, or might we see something where he says, you know what, I don't trust these guys, Ziyech, set piece, whatever. I know that they want, that they want to sit and hit us on the counter. I'm gonna to sit too. I'm going to sit too. But well, there's nobody I'm, between the... Uh... No, no. I, like, obviously, it's not going to turn into a cartoon show, right? But, you know, instead of 
sending tail with the wingers and so on. Just being more conservative himself. Trying yeah, to draw them out that maybe. way. Maybe. I don't think so. But maybe maybe that's an option. I, I mean, the French don't like being favorite for that reason. Is that they prefer hitting on the counter. But there's games where you can't, you can't do that when you are the better team. And that would be the case tomorrow. So I'd be surprised if, if even Morocco allow, allow France to be able to hit them on the counter. That would be very crazy. Because we saw them play with a higher line against um, in the quarterfinal against Portugal uh, relative to what they did against Spain as well. Yeah, so true, but I'm because they didn't have players like Mbappé and Dembele to attack the space anyway. So it makes sense. You can't play a high line against France or you're going to get really, really exposed, I think. Not a high line, but, uh, no, but I mean, still. I'm, I'm just throwing that out as a possibility. Because yeah, no, Morocco maybe. have a coach who I think can, he's done it a certain way. But I think he can also be a bit unpredictable but because he's got ballers. He's got people who can play. True. I, I don't. I think the highest possession percentage is like maybe forty percent in this I'm World Cup. Not to say high possession, but there is a way to think to be more direct. No, if, maybe. And, and, and possi possibly catch him by surprise a little bit. Is it more risky? Maybe. Yes. But you know what? How many times are you going to play in a semi-final? And if you get that yeah, goal, true, true. and then you go and you turn it into the Alamo. I'm more worried about the fact that France can't break the deadlock because Morocco defend very, very well again and then we get frustrated and then that's exactly what they want and what they feed off and then I'm not sure what the French would do if they get frustrated and so, like, lose their focus. I think that would be dangerous. Key man for Morocco, in my opinion, again, Castor and Pollux, a.k.a. Sofiane Amrabat and Unahi. I, she said name that no one would know who they are. I, I think we have a lot of very <laughs> educated people in Greek mythology among our audience. <laughs> Gab, the referee for France v Morocco is the Mexican Cesar Ramos. Uh, care to speculate about who might get the final then, considering who is staying, who is still here and who's gone home? You're mistaking me for Dale Johnson here? Um, I think you love your referee-like trivia. So, it's interesting because obviously... See? Already... There were, there were 12 referees left, right? So if you assume it's going to be somebody... I, I thought Ramos was going to get to the final because he, he was close to perfect. He got very high ratings thus far. And obviously the nice thing about having a Mexican referee in the final, you have somebody who's totally confederation neutral and, and whatever else. And you can't get semis and final. No, that's not possible. No, you can't get semis and final. So looking at who's left, um, bearing in mind that the other choice assignment, if you want, is the third place playoff. Yeah. I think there's probably three potentials in terms of people who have not refereed since the group stage. One is the guy who I would have had as the favorite before the tournament, again, depending which countries got knocked out or not, and that's Danny McAuley yeah. from, from Holland. Um, another one, potentially Anthony Taylor we, from England, we haven't seen again. I the last time an, an Englishman refereed the World Cup final, we remember what happened. I don't know who. I 2010, Howard Webb. Oh, that's right. Yes. Kufu kicked out. He's the only one in the whole. Nigel of the Young. And yeah, not to have seen it. Oh, but what about when Graham Paul refereed and gave out the three yellow cards? Stop, 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 stop. I stop it. I, I think Anthony Taylor is a good referee. Um, it's interesting. McAuley was involved in a game where he was messed up. He made a mistake in the group game. I'm forgetting what group game it was. Yeah, but it looks remember. like it was actually the, the VAR, uh, Paul van der Bockel, who, who messed him up. Okay. Um, so, yes, I, if I had to guess, it's going to be one of those three. Macaulay, Klaus, uh, who's from Brazil, or, or Taylor. Um, I think one issue with Macaulay is 
Remember there was so much ag Macaulay's Dutch. There was so much aggro with Argentina and whatever and the Dutch. True. True. Is this something that the referees committee would take into account? Colina before the tournament told us no, we're entirely independent, blah blah blah. You don't necessarily in the past they've avoided these situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be a shame if they do think he's the best referee for the final. It yeah, would be a real shame if he, yeah, if he keeps him I agree. Luis Enrique didn't do an exit interview when he left his job as nope, Spain manager. Right. Instead, he did things Lucho style by going on <laughs> Ibayanos' Twitch channel. Yes. For those who don't know who Ibayanos is, he's got a bazillion followers. He's Big influencer in Spain. Yeah. He's not just anything in throughout the Spanish. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, Spanish. I mean, he's enormous, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, not as. F I wonder if he's bigger than Kabi. He's not bigger than Kabi, nah, right? No, no, Okay, is. so it's, but that's it's another a different thing. style. It's different style. He does more like interviews and stuff like that. But Kabi's more important, right? Kabi's funnier. Kabi's funnier. For sure. Kabi's more handsome. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Kabi's Italian, which of makes course. it better. Yeah, yeah. I knew uh, that but funny. anyway, um, two hours they spent talking. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, one of the things that we learned was that he wished he'd given Sarabia more playing time. It's like a random thing to say. I know. And why should you tell us that now? Well, you should have done it then. What prevent I, you from doing it? But it's, he said, there is one man in the 26 who let Ooh. him down. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's like Jesus in the Garden of, of Gethsemane where he says, you know, like, or, or no, that's later, I think, when Peter denies it. But Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Yeah. And it's, it's not Peter. A spoiler alert, in case you haven't read the Bible, it's Judas. Um, is this what he's referring to? Like, I, I don't, no, why would I would you say this? More. And then you're kind of leading people to speculate who, who but was. That's the Greg Berhalter, Joe Reyna story, exactly the same way. He said, like, one of them I didn't yeah, like. Greg Berhalter wasn't, wasn't meant for public consumption. This is the big difference. I, I don't mean, know, but he still said This guy it. goes on Twitch. He knows he's talking in front of two million but, people. Yeah, but Berhalter, we all knew that. that was We're going to get to anyway. that. We're going to yeah, get no, to that. Still, so it's similar. I, I don't know why he felt the need when Ibai said to him, oh, like, what would you change? I think that was the question. Yeah. And he said, well, that one player, so now everybody's obviously check, like trying to find out who the guy is. So I don't think it's Pedri. I don't think it's Gavi <laughs> either. But you have to just basically, we don't, we're not going to give you, but or, look who didn't play or who didn't play much at all. Or who played and played badly. I mean, and then I didn't play again because if I, he was disappointed, he would not have played him more than once. I, I honestly don't know, but why would you set up as I much as I love him? Why it's would crazy. you set the situation it's up? Stupid, also, why can't you do a press conference like a normal person? Like, what, what, what are you? Who do you I think you know. are? Bielsa? You're not Bielsa. Yeah, he loves that Twitch, doesn't he? He loves Twitch. Hey, go and spend hours on Twitch yeah. on your own. Go get your, now he's got plenty of time. He's got a lot of time on his hands now, exactly. Plenty of national team coach talk. Gabi, because Ronaldo, the original, the Brazilian, says that he would love to see a foreign coach taking over Brazil. Yeah, but there's a little caveat here. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be happy with you or me as foreign coaches. He wants, yeah, no, he no, wants no. a big he name. Wants, he said, like, he'd love to see... The names that he mentions are Pep Guardiola, yeah, okay. Carlo Ancelotti, okay. and Jose Mourinho. Okay, so, so none of yeah. them were free right now. Thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> Even if they were, it's like, yeah, gee, who would want Pep Guardiola or Ancelotti? Okay, Mourinho tends to divide yeah. opinion a little bit right More now. More debatable. But, but still, but, yeah. but like, oh, yeah, of course. Lovely. I mean, you know, why not? <laughs> if you can try Ronaldo to tempt one of those three, but yeah, good luck in the process. I mean, so it's not just the original Ronaldo. It's also the football associate in England who are reportedly open to a foreign coach too. But most of the media, and of course I think the FA as well, are hoping Southgate's sticking around. Yeah. This has reopened the ancient can of worms debate. Of course. Is 
Should you have a foreign coach? Yeah. Where is it acceptable? England have obviously had, they've had Fabio Capello, they've had Sven Joran Eriksson, yeah. they've had two. Um, does it matter? Do you care? Would you care? If, if Pep Guardiola, so, after Deschamps retires, if Pep came to manage France, would you feel like he's letting down the legacy of stellar French All I would say is the, langu the language for me is the key here. If it's someone that is foreigner but who knows the language, who knows the country in a way, I don't know. I mean, I've never been in this position anyway, so I've never even thought about it until I had a chat with our friend Rory Smith, who is completely against it. He said, like, you should not even be allowed as a country. You can't, you can't recruit a foreign striker. Why would you be able to recruit a foreign manager? I was like, okay, it's kind maybe. Of stupid because it's a completely different role. And but it's completely against England having a former coach, uh, like a foreign coach, sorry. Which I'm like, okay, well, you know, why, why if all your ones who are English are rubbish? What do you do? You take a rubbish one? He said, but look, imagine, for example, if Tuchel was appointed, have a German coach in charge for the English national team, would that sit right with people? I've said, I've got no problem with it, but... I mean, yeah, clearly uh, in England, they have a few issues with it. Yeah, I'd have no problem with it if it were England. Would I have a problem with it if it were Italy? A little bit, because it would mean that a generation of Italian coaches uh, has failed. Yeah, so, okay, so you but redo equally, that process, but in the meantime, you're not going to wait 10 years with some dude who's no, rubbish. Exactly, and also, I'd love to see if Pep Guardiola comes out tomorrow and says, sorry, Man City, I've won enough. I want to go and manage England. Yeah, or Jurgen Club. Surely yeah. they will. Did you queue. think they'd say, oh, no, 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 no. No, you Like, oh, not. Gareth Southgate's gone. All right, let's get yeah, Potter. You or, were not born in Yorkshire, or whatever, so, you you can't, so you can't be I mean, coach. I don't buy that, but I'll give you, it's funny. Years ago, uh, Sunil Galati, when he was in charge yeah. of the uh, United States Soccer Federation, this is well before the appointed Klinsman, he always used to say, no, no, we have to have an American coach because no foreign coach has ever won the World Cup. Yeah, which is still the case now. By still the, the case. Yeah. I thought, oh, great. Yeah, that's your objective. But the retort is easy. No American coach has ever won the World Cup. True. No living English coach has ever won the World Cup. True as well. So, you know, I, I think you got to put it in it's context. It's a good point. It's yeah. not for everyone. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Meanwhile, Gareth, Portugal have reportedly approached Roma about bringing Jose Mourinho home. We know that Fernando Santos is leaving, potentially, or will leave. Uh, and according to Abola, I think it was this morning, the report was that Mourinho was the number one target, uh, despite still being very much under contract with a year in extension as well possible. With Roma, that I think Abel Ferrara and Reed George maybe or someone else was, was the other choices. What do you think? He's under contract with Roma, so it would cost you, you'd have to pay to get him out of his contract. Yeah. Um, Mourinho has hinted is wanting to go and coach Portugal at some point. Would he do it now after having spent all this money at Roma after winning the conference and showing in some forward project, uh, some forward planning in his project yeah. and all this jazz? I don't know. I, I don't know that it would necessarily be the appeal. I'm also not sure that Mourinho would be a logical fit for Portugal with the players they are now, given the type of football Mourinho, Mourinho has played. Yeah, maybe. Um, that would be my main question mark. Obviously, if Mourinho... And it's I, not like they don't have enough great coaches you know, that can yeah. come and take over. Like, if there's one country that's got <laughs> exactly. millions of great coaches, it's them. So, come I on. mean, I think right now, sort of, if we're talking about outstanding coaches per capita, 
Portugal are probably number right one the by, by a mile. By a mile, indeed. More from the original Ronaldo, just because we love him so much. Yeah, of course. He says, Mbappe is a lot like him. Oh. Like he was sweet because he corrected himself. Well, not like me now, but like me when I was yeah, his age. Because now it's not uh, the same. It's hard to think of a bigger compliment you can yeah, give somebody, Yeah, I don't right? think so. Even if Ronaldo was not really Kylian's generation, you know, Kylian grew up with, with Cristiano as, as his idol, not... Ronaldo was a little bit too early. The different Ronaldo, he had his eyes. Yeah, yeah. You but know, I mean, he stylistically. He was born when Ronaldo was in the 98 yeah. World Cup final. So. Ronaldo probably physically stronger than Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, as well. And, and I, in terms of flat-out pace, I think they're pretty darn close. Yeah, the pace, uh, the skills as well. Technical ability. Slightly more for Ronnie, maybe. I think slightly more for Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. But still, great. if you're Kylian, I think you would feel really like... I think like, you'll take that. Yeah, big time. Rafael Leao has opened contract talks with Milan, Gab, to renew his deal. How is that going? It's a slow it's, process. It's right? a slow process. And I said, there's, there's a lot of elements here. And, you know, he's got 18 months left. One of the big elements, one of the big elephants in the room is still talked about this before is the fact that when he left sporting if you remember it was they, they canceled the contract he left on a free transfer and it was because the ultras came in and smashed up the tree yeah. around and attract the players went to lille for free yeah. and then there was there was a trial and they said no you have to pay compensation and, the, and he's personally liable for the compensation yeah. so they have to work out something with lille i think because yeah, lille are definitely. the ones who got him for free and then made a profit when they sold him to milan yeah. uh it's a difficult one. Obviously, there's a lot of clubs who are who are looking at the situation yeah. and who want Rafael Leal because because by the way, we're going to get to this in a second. If you think about it, right now, Armando Broja injured at Chelsea. We're going to talk about him in a, in a minute. Gabriel Jesus injured at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo gone from Manchester United. Those are three clubs who could all probably use a center forward, and Rafael Leal is pretty darn good. Yeah. Sticking with Milan. Zlatan Ibrahimovic ah, revealed Ibra. that he is Olivier Giroud's idol. Are you buying this, Jules? You know Giroud better than yeah. I do. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, they're the same age, pretty much. One is 36, <laughs> one is 41. So <laughs> it's just like... Um, but I love the line, of course. And he was very... You know, I, I'm picturing a 14, 15-year-old Olivier Giroud being kind of nerdy because Giroud's very educated and yeah. went to university and stuff like that. And in the meantime, Zlatan is twining. He's the bad boy of Dutch football. And he's probably getting those like, those, like weird magazines that they had back then in France uh, about foreign football. Yeah, like Once Mondial. Cutting out pictures. Exactly. Once Mondial. There Once you Mondial. go. <laughs> cutting out pictures. Uh, no. He probably had no. Zlatan posters. Great idea, but no. No? No. Okay. no not this right. time. But I love, I mean, we love Ibra. We've interviewed him last season. How, what great, uh, how great he was as well, and that's another punchline, which is, which is lovely. But he'd been before he did an interview for French television and was very, very... Uh, he was praising Giroud a lot and saying that he should go to the World Cup. And now, and now I think he shows that Zlatan was right. It's nice to see because theoretically they're competing for a yeah, starting spot. But getting on really well as well, so that's good. Merlin Partners, who own Lille, uh, have made a binding offer for Sampdoria in Serie A. Gab, how badly do they need a new owner? So the guys who own Lille, it's two guys. One is an Italian guy and the other is some other dude who's not Italian. The Italian guy's name is Alessandro. I actually met him in London uh, a while back. I'm blanking on his last name. Um, they're making an offer where, I mean, Sampdoria are nearly functionally bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, their owner was literally, Ferrero was literally in prison. Then he was under house arrest. 
the bottom of the table as well. Yeah. They need, I think what they're trying to do is do something where they're going to take over, they're going to take on the liability of the club, and they're go they've pledged to invest money in the club, probably from next season. I think somebody have to go down to come back up. It's obviously a historic club. This is the club of, of Roberto Mancini, of Gianluca Vialli, of yes. Pellegrini, of, yes. of Mikhail Ichenko, of yes. Toninho Cerezo, of Gianluca Pagliuca, oh. of Moreno Manini. Oh. The list goes on and on. The legends that have been through yeah. there. And what a shirt as well. And Iconic. one of the coolest shirts in, in history, which I believe you've worn on the show. Yeah, of course. On the show before. Uh, we want them back in Serie A. We want them back run normally. We want serious people yeah, owning course. clubs, not Ferrero. And they're doing a good job with Lille. So I would trust, I would really trust Merlin Partners to do a good job at Sampdoria too. Hugo Lloris texted Harry Kane to console oh, the Mackers. Penalty boy. miss for England against France. Jules, I imagine that's appreciated. Yeah, very appreciated. Very much so, Gabby. Uh, I think it's the right thing to do from Hugo. He waited a little bit before texting Harry. And they've obviously been very, very good friends for many, many years now. So you can understand. Even I think for Hugo, it was in a, it was difficult to see his mate me, as as happy as he was, but to see him okay. miss and to see him so sad, everything. So they had a, a lovely, lovely exchange, and they will be I, friends again, of course, when they go back to London together. I have a question here, which I think some of our audience might have. I think I know the answer to it. Yeah. So if it's one dude texting another dude, right? One of these two people must have revealed that they got the text. I'm assuming it was Harry yeah. Kane who said, oh, I got a nice text from Hugo. It's not like Hugo like, look at me. I'm so nice. No, I sent a nice text to Harry because Kane. Because we asked him this morning at his press conference if he had spoken to Harry. So he said. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So in that context, he didn't volunteer the meme. information. No, no, no. Not okay. that no, All it's right. not like when you give a million to charity and then you say, "Hey, by the way, I gave a million pounds, a million dollars to charity." Gab, what happened to the 32-team World Cup, Club World Cup, sorry, and FIFA's big plan to have it in the U.S. in 2025? So obviously, this was part of Gianni Infantino's plan. They were they, originally, I think, they, they were going to have one in Brazil, then they went away from it, and then. This is something that UEFA don't like because they think it might detract from the Champions League. Yeah. Equally... It's a lot of clubs for a club World Cup. Well, FIFA's point for the US is a very big country. There's a lot of teams that are in the real World Cup. <laughs> the idea from FIFA's perspective is we got rid of the Confederations Cup. Let's go and do this instead. Um, the ECA, the European Club Association, met here. And obviously, not saying clubs in the rest of the world aren't important, but without the ECA, you don't have all the money and the interest because the ECA is what brings you Real Madrid and Manchester United and, and, and whatnot. Um, Infantino didn't raise the subject because supposedly because he didn't want it to get knocked down. I think it's, it'll probably happen. It has to be done in such a way that UEFA are okay with it. Yeah. Uh, that they really don't see it. I, I think if it's something every four years... So, okay, I, the question I have is, why do you go straight from... So why is it now? Six? Is it six, something like that? Because yeah. you've got six to 32. Why don't you try, I don't know, let's say 12 to start with, and then maybe you can go to 16. 16. So it's a nicer, nicer number. Yeah. No, but do you know what I mean? Like, why is jump straight from six or whatever it is to 32 and change, so, uh, which would change the whole dynamic of the season for a lot of those clubs? No, 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 because it wouldn't be during the season. It would be in the summer. It would, yeah, so it would be the no, summer. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, sorry. It's I mean, right. It would mean that still. basically, like, uh, ultimately would mean that instead of clubs going on tour uh, in the U.S. and in Asia, the ones who qualify would play here and they would be pay, pay, paid a lot of money for it. And obviously, if you have 
because you can't have 16 European teams, right? Yeah. If you have 32 teams, you could maybe have 12, 13, 14 big European teams, which means you then make a whole load more money, and then you can distribute, and you FIFA have more money to give away. And the way FIFA officials get elected is they do things that generate money. Uh, but by the way, FIFA lose money on everything that they generate except for the World, the World Cup, Cup, right? Yeah. So that was that was the thinking behind it. I, I just think you have to think it through, and there has to be a detente. There has to be some kind of peace between, obviously, South America and Europe on one side and FIFA on the other. Yeah. Sounds complicated to me, but that, that's it. Uh, speaking of Club World Cups, I think it's far likelier, Jules, yeah. that we're going to get a women's version before that. Wow, okay. Are you, you, are you also, it's all too complicated. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, but they, wanna, they would not be 32 teams, right? No, I don't know. They might not be 32. Maybe they're, maybe they're 16. Yeah, exactly. But, but I, I think this is something... The game, I think this is something that would be fantastic. It would be great. Because it's not something that would be dominated by the European clubs. In yeah. fact, my women's soccer, uh, my WOSO sources tell me that some end up, most NWSL teams could more than hold their, their 100%. own against the top European 100%. sides. I think to grow oh. the game, is, this could be very, very important. Uh, and I'm told it could happen even, obviously, the Women's World Cup next year, 2023. As early as 2024, they could be doing this. You'd have to figure out where in the yeah, summer, whatever, how you qualify. And, I think this know. would be really, really cool. You get, I don't know, maybe you get like the top four from NWSL, maybe the, 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 the four semifinalists from the, from the Champions yeah. League. You get a couple teams from Australia, yeah. a couple teams from South America, a couple teams from Asia. I know there's going to be differences in, in, yeah, in but levels. I, I'm with you completely. But, but this, is, this is the way forward. Yeah, I and I want to know. I want to know what the best women's club team in the world is. Don't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm a big advocate of this. Gab, we could be getting the initial Super League verdict in the next 48 hours. You've been waiting for this. Not for the initial <laughs> verdict, because the initial verdict is non-binding. Yeah. It's just the verdict of the Chief Justice. Uh, it's, we're expecting it on Thursday. Right. Now, just to let you know, a lot of people are going to get very excited by this. But what I've been told from both sides, so both the UEFA side, who kind of want to maintain the status quo, say... Uh, football's not just a business. It, it has a, a certain sporting value and so on. So FIFA should continue, sorry, UEFA and extension FIFA should continue running it. And by the other side, by the Super League clubs who say, no, we should run this ourselves. It's not fair that UEFA are both regulator and tournament organizer, whatever. The Chief Justice thing is not binding and there's no guarantee that the court, it's, it's not really a bellwether yeah. of which way the court goes. And because I've heard this, I've also seen reported, oh no, it's an indication. I don't think it is an indication. I think the Chief Justice, their report will likely come closer to the UEFA side. Okay. But I think we'll get an idea because if he says, if he's 100% on the UEFA side, I don't think the final verdict will be too far away from the UEFA side. If he starts, if he's a little closer to the middle, if he says, well, maybe UEFA, you know, shouldn't, maybe UEFA should give more of a voice to clubs or whatever. Uh, maybe they shouldn't do this part. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't take money from here then I think we could get more of a final verdict on the other side. So it's a bellwether in that sense, but it's certainly no guarantee of how the final verdict is going to come. Yeah. And the ver final verdict, by the way, is expected in March. And depending how it goes, it could be cataclysmic. It could be change the face of European football, as we've told you many times. Jean-Felix has been strongly linked to Aston Villa Jules, mostly by his agent, Uncle Indeed. George. Uh, but according to reports, he's not too keen. Should he be? 
Um, well, I think he wants to play in the Champions League to start with, and there's there's no guarantee right now that Aston Villa can I, say to him, listen, the next year or in two years or in three years or in four years we'll be there. So already you take a bit of a risk. Maybe you saw what happened to Coutinho, who went there, started okay, and now has disappeared from the team suddenly before Unai Emery took over. Uh, and maybe for we know he doesn't want to play in England. Maybe he doesn't feel like that suits his style, and maybe he's got a point. And unless he plays for a City, for example, maybe he's not too keen. I, I don't know. But you can't, you can't tell me that Aston Villa is the most appealing club right now that could go after Joao Felix, right? It, it's weird that this Villa line came out. I mean, I don't know if Emery said, oh, yes, I like Joao Felix. I like yeah, the talent. Yeah, if you're a coach, you, would want, you might course, want to He's a talented it. player, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a very um, good player. But, but wouldn't you expect other teams to, bigger teams to come forward to say, I want to work yeah. with you, want to be patient? I mean, he's not that damaged goods at no. this stage, is he? No. Well, I disagree with that. Six months loan at Wolves? Oh, my God, imagine <laughs> that. That's the next phone call from Uncle George. I'm on the Brogia's injury. is worse than expected initially, Gab. And it's uh, an ACL, which means we won't see him until next season. What a terrible injury in a friendly against Aston Villa, by the way. Yeah, I feel, I, you know, I'm a big Brogia fan. I... I I thought Chelsea should have stuck with Broja, Havertz, Sterling, whatever up front. Not signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, nah, your boy. We know that Sorry. We know that um, Obviously, now he's injured. I don't know that Chelsea can go between now and the end of the season and finish top four with Aubameyang, you know, the silky German, best on earth, Kai Havertz, Sterling as your front man. Is there yeah. somebody I'm forgetting? You want to play Pulisic through the middle? Somebody well, you I mean, can... Well, Mount, if you want at the middle, I don't know. Uh, He's capable of a lot of things, Graham Potter. I mean, I think they got to go out and get somebody. Yeah, um, I think already it's not a good Ekbali position to be in. Iqbal and Bodhi have, have, I think, have kind of mentioned it already, and I think they're looking. But you're right. Where do you go? One, we know that January is a tough transfer window, really tough. Two, do you go for a loan, which you like the idea? Would you go for... I like for the loan idea for Arsenal. It's another discussion we had in the car. We should start taping the podcast know, in the car, actually. Um, not for Chelsea. Not for Chelsea. Not so for where they are. Good luck to go and get someone of the caliber that they would want in this January. I don't think there's many candidates. What about, what about the guy who scored a ton of goals for many, many years? In fact, I believe he scored more international goals than any man alive. Christine Sinclair has many more than he does, of course. And who's a free agent? And Surely who not. Todd Bowley was into, no? Very much into in the summer. Maybe Cristiano is the answer there. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think definitely. he's going there. FIFRO have released a statement in support of Iranian defender Amir Nasser Azadani, who plays for Traktor, and he's reportedly in danger of being executed for his role in the anti-government protests, jewels, and also protests for women's rights, yeah. trade union rights, and yeah. so on in Iran. It's a it's sad situation. It's good to see FIFRO making a stand. Yeah, and it was, it's right for them to do it. I think this is some, something that has to be taken very, very seriously now because... You just cannot let... I know that we often say that football and politics cannot mix, but often they do mix, and in this case, they have to mix because I think the football world and the football family in, as a whole could, could come and, and, and defend him, help him, protect him, maybe whatever they want to do, whatever they can do. I think this is the moment to do it for everybody. Whether you're involved, you get Messi involved, you get Cristiano, you get whoever you want, we cannot let that happen. You know, I, it's funny because when we talk about football and politics mixing, and obviously it's been a big issue in this yeah, World Cup. Yeah, especially, yeah. One of the arguments around it is that there are certain values which are universal human values, right? So 
against racial discrimination, right? We, we say these are universal human values, and so yeah. it's not political to say, you know, do not racially discriminate. I personally, my view, I think we can get enough of humanity together to say that unless you've committed treason or murder, you, you cannot be executed. You can yeah. go to prison. So you, you know, you're like, well, like I'm not sure you should go to prison for protesting for well, women's but rights. Well, that's a different the one. But they, but I they know, say, but no, no, but that's fine. But, but, but that's taking a stronger view, right? But yeah, the yeah. thing is, like, you know, I know, some countries have capital punishment. Whatever your view is on it, I personally I'm against it, but whatever. Like, we should have a, a, a line that you cannot be executed for speaking your mind, which is what this guy was doing, yeah. right? Uh, that, that I think we can move the bar a little more. You know, 40 years ago, when we had apartheid, war, maybe, or maybe more than that, 60 years ago, we maybe couldn't go and demand, you know, uh, not to have discrimination. I mean, maybe FIFA wasn't in a position to do that. Yeah. Today they are, right? I think at the same time, we can also move it. For speaking your mind, you cannot be executed. I don't think it's a big ask. I think it's a baby step. And I think it's, it's the least that, that, that this guy deserves. And then yeah, you want to put him on trial. You know, we're not interfering with your legal system again. I have my views on it. You have yours. I, think, I imagine they're pretty much aligned on this I point. Think so. But to say you can't put somebody to death like this, I, whether he's a footballer or not, I, I think that should be a minimum Definitely. step. Definitely. And finally, Gab, Pele's condition is stable, but he's still in hospital. We know what to do, right? That's right. Ore, get, be get better soon. Uh, we miss you. Uh, we want you. We, we want your... We want your old age to be happy and, 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 and filled with joy and, and serenity. Um, condition, again, stable. That's encouraging. But, you know, we're all, we're all with them. I think the whole world, you saw Definitely. the outpouring. Yeah, of course, um, of course. There's your question, the number of lives that, that Pelé touched. Jules, this brings us to an end. Aye. But we're going to come back on Thursday in just 48 hours Incredible. after that massive France-Morocco game. Where we're going to have on. either a very happy Jules or a very sad Jules. We will debrief that game. We will look ahead. We're going to preview the final. It's all coming your way in just 48 hours. Until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash gabjewels now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels.